at Discovery, we are going through uh, a time of Bible memorization. We were picking it up once again. We had a, a few months off, and for the month of January, our Bible memory is Psalm 19, just the first four verses. And part of what we do is we always say it together when we gather on Sunday. And we have little strips in the back that might be helpful if you wanted to pick it up and bring it with you so that you can be reminded of those verses and what they say. So we're going to say it together. And then following that, I'm going to go into our uh, Bible reading for this morning, which is in Hebrews 2. I'll read a verse Verse 1, verse 3, and then jump to verse 9. But we're going to begin with verse 19. And I invite you to join with me by standing either physically or in your heart before God as a sign of reverence and respect of God and his word as we say together these words that we love. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they proclaim much. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And now allow me to read from Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 1, 3, and then going to 9. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. 
in that old game of Where's Waldo, you would have a sea of people, places, and faces on a page, maybe in a town square, here on a beach, and Waldo is hiding in his red and white sweater. And in that sea of red and white, you're asked a question. Where's Waldo? You see him? It's a little hard. I tried to get it as blown up as I could and still kind of keep it somewhat. He's kind of right in the center. Yeah. Right there. There is Waldo. When we look in the pages of the Bible, we should go to the first question, where's Jesus? Because unlike the Waldo books, books, Jesus is obvious on every page. It could be that we're not accustomed to looking for him, but he's not hiding. He's right there. Last week, we introduced the idea of snapshots. This is an old Polaroid camera that is coming back into use. It captures the picture of people that we care about. Today, we have our phones to capture pictures, and our phones become photo albums. But if you're sort of in my age category, maybe you remember photo albums that are like books, and you put your pictures and maybe Polaroids in them. And it's our desire to help you create a photo book of Jesus and all the snapshots of him that we find in the book of Hebrews. So as we go through the book of Hebrews chapter by chapter, what I'm doing is helping us to look at some snapshots, pictures, titles, descriptions of Jesus the starter picture book. Last time we got together, a couple weeks ago, before the storm came, we looked at Hebrews 1. And there we pulled out nine snapshots of Jesus. Chapter 2 is a shorter chapter, and uh, I'm reading fewer verses. And in this, we have another nine snapshots of Jesus. And these snapshots all have to do with his incarnation, which means Jesus taking on flesh and bone. It's not just a theme for the Christmas season, but all year long. Jesus' incarnation is permanent. And it speaks to us of what it means to live a fulfilled life in our humanity, because he was fully human, like us, but without sin. So these nine snapshots of today are part of the photo album. Now, you could take each snapshot and make a motion picture out of it, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to see the snapshots and, over time, to grow and grow and be impressed with Jesus. And why he came. And what Jesus accomplished in his humanity provides the way for us to be fully human in finding and living God's purpose.
for us. Let me repeat that again. What Jesus accomplished in his humanity provides the way for us to be fully human as we fulfill God's purpose. But first of all, before we get to the snapshots, we're going to look at a bit of what the Bible, actually what Hebrews has to say about the supremacy of Jesus. The book of Hebrews was addressed to a group of Jewish Christians who some of them had began to drift from their faith. They lost their awareness of how their faith impacted their life. Now, this seems to be the case. We're going to get into it more in Hebrews 3, but I, I feel like I want to touch it here on chapter 2. Now, the Christians at this time were being persecuted. And some of the Christians decided, well, to ease up the persecution, they're going to slip back in to the Jewish community and practice the sacrifices and the rituals and the offerings of the Old Testament Jewish people, which was still going on. But they in their heart would say, I'm still going to follow Jesus in my heart, even though outwardly I'm doing these practices. So they'd return to the sacrifices, return to the rituals, thinking that it was okay because they had Jesus in their heart. Now, while we might not go back to Old Testament ceremonies and rituals. Our danger along the same line is to engage in any practice where Jesus is not the center of that practice and he's not the center of our hearts. It would be like making an offering to church or making a contribution into the kingdom and we do so so that we might feel good about ourselves rather than doing it as an expression of gratitude to Jesus for what he's done for us. It can be doing good deeds and it has a fine motivation, but it's not done out of a thankfulness. Say, Jesus, for all that you've done for me, I want that to overflow and for you to use me to serve others. But if we simply do good deeds because it makes us feel good, then Jesus is absent. Or like going to church and doing the church things on Sunday, yet without a sensitive heart that's really open to worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth. We sometimes say that's just going through the motions. It doesn't have Jesus in the heart of it. And that's the challenge that comes to us from the context of Hebrews. What we do in our practices to have Jesus right in the center. Now we know in looking back at the Old Testament that all the sacrifices pointed to Jesus. All the offerings reflected him. All the suffering represented him. And now that Jesus has come and suffered and died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, those Old Testament sacrifices and ceremonies are no longer needed because the bridegroom has come. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is no way you should go back to those Old Testament sacrifices 
because now we have Jesus. And the challenge for us is that in all that we do, to make sure that Jesus is right in the center, that we find him everywhere. And so we're going to go through these snapshots to help broaden our horizon of all of who Jesus is and all of what Jesus has done. And sort of at the same time, not a parallel, but sort of uh, on the side, we're, uh, we're also going to be taking some snapshots of each other. We've got a couple of Polaroid cameras around, and we're going to be taking pictures of each other. There's one bulletin board that's going to have the titles of Jesus, and one bulletin board that has snapshots of Polaroids. Because, you see, as you grow deeper in Jesus, as you start to put the practices of Jesus into your life, the Spirit does this amazing thing. We become to look and act, behave, and reflect more and more like Jesus. We have a phrase that's called the priesthood of all believers. We're the supporting cast. We're the ones that Jesus is changing, and our role is to lift up, to promote the main feature, who is Jesus. So that's part of using this idea of snapshots as we go through the book of Hebrews. So you ready for some snapshots? Here they go, rapid fire, nine of them all out of Hebrews chapter 2. He is the flesh of our flesh. On the night that Jesus arose from early that morning, he appeared to his disciples, and his disciples thought he was a ghost. And what did Jesus do? He said, I'm flesh and bone like you. And then he asked for food that he could eat. He was a transformed physical being, but still very physical, and he still is. And then he spent the next 40 days walking with the disciples to prove his existence, flesh of our flesh. Number two, man of sorrows. He got fully involved in the human dilemma, our human brokenness. He suffered greatly. Did you catch that verse? That he was made perfect through his suffering. Boy, unload that. But at least we know, through his suffering, he carries our suffering with him. Just as when he was at Lazarus' tomb and wept, he still enters the suffering of those who are standing around him. He's the man of sorrows. That's what Isaiah 53 says, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Whenever I go through a difficult moment in my life, I know in my bones that he went through it in one way or another. He identifies with that sorrow, and that qualifies him to be our Savior. Number three, he is our sympathizer-in-chief. He not only understands our brokenness and feels our brokenness, 
He understands it in a way in which he wants God's best for us. He was tested so that he can help those who are going through testing. Maybe you don't like sympathizer-in-chief, maybe empathizer-in-chief. The idea is he gets it. He gets it. And he walks with us. I've gone to a lot of funerals, and whether I am leading them or I'm coming as a friend, the best thing that you can do for a family is to let them know that you are grieving with them. I stand in solidarity with you in this grief. How much more does Jesus, our great sympathizer, serve us? Recently, I got a text from a friend from emergency that his wife's pregnancy was ending. Knowing that they were from out of state, I texted back, uh, wondering if someone was with them. And then he tested, texted back, uh, if I need you or if I need someone, I'll let you know. And I texted back, that's not what I asked. Are you alone? Yes, I'm coming down. See, we don't need the burden of the one who's going through the suffering to tell us what they need. God's Spirit speaks to us, and we should jump into action. How much more does the Son of God sympathize with us? Next one. The devourer of death. It says he tasted death. Now that tasting doesn't mean that he sampled it like an appetizer. He consumed it. He absorbed it. He did it so that he could undo it for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, the great apostle asks, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done all that is needed to do to open up the door and set us free. Death will not hold us captive. One day we will all run right out of it in these new transformed bodies. The devourer of death. He is also the disabler of the devil. It doesn't say here that he destroyed the devil. That part's coming. It says that he broke Satan's power so that the devil and his minions are going to be toothless, toothless tigers. And when he died on the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers. He is the disabler of the devil. And when we read in Revelation 12, when it talks about those who remain on earth, that we have overcome the devil. How? By the power of our testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it says we do not have to fear the death of the body because Jesus is taking care of our death. He is the disabler of the devil. He is also 
the liberator of all fears. Because we carry around with us fears, big fears. I thought about some big fears as I was preparing this, and I, I thought about something maybe that you might remember from last year about that uh, individual sub that went down to the Titanic and imploded. And I remember, and I found uh, an interview that was done with that, that boy, he was a teenager there, and they interviewed his aunt. And they said that before he left there, that boy was scared. He feared for his life, but he did it because it was Father's Day. And he wanted to give a gift for his father, but yet so fearful. Jesus liberates us by replacing fear with himself. The better I know him, the less these fears have a hold on us. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you have fear, because I have fears, that that is unspiritual. Sometimes we tend to think linearly that once I pray about a fear or pray about a temptation, then it should be done with forever. I tend to think that these, these fears that we have, we, we deal with them kind of like in a cylinder that kind of goes around. You know, we, we deal with it, we pray with it, God gives us peace and grace, we kind of go a circle and then we come, we sometimes will come back to it, but we'll come back to it at a different level. And we'll deal with it spiritually and God gives us grace. And if we come back to it, we come back to it a little stronger, a little deeper, at a different level. It's complex. It's a complex thing. But I do know that the answer to conquering any fear is found in Jesus. Doesn't he keep saying, fear not, fear not, fear not? He is the sanctifier of the saints. A saint is someone who has been set apart for a holy purpose. When we give our lives over to Jesus, we receive him in. He gives to us a holy purpose. It says that at that point we are sanctified, we are made holy, whether, whether I know it or not. And my whole life is now set aside to do his will in and through me, to fulfill his purposes. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our body. That's our purpose. In our whole being, we are to glorify God. All that he set aside for us, all that he suffered for us, all that he did to become victorious for us is to give to us this holy purpose. But I'm called to use my physical body, my mind, my intellect, my motivations, all for the glory of God. He is the sanctifier of the saints. He is the elder brother. He calls us brothers and sisters. We who outside of God's grace were far from Father God have now, because of the Son of God, been brought grace and we are brought into Father God's family and we have been raised up to be called sisters and brothers of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we become little gods, far from it, not at all. 
but it does mean that he's so identified with our humanity that we are called a sibling. Just like we would call someone a brother or a sister. So Jesus calls that to us. John 1 says that those who have received him have been given the power to become the children of God. We all share in the blessing of the family of God. One of his titles is Elder Brother. Lastly, he is the architect of salvation. As a building has an architect, has been designed for what's necessary, Jesus has provided everything that is necessary for our salvation. He came to earth. He took on human flesh and blood. He lived a life of perfect obedience, a life full of suffering. And that suffering intensified as he got closer to the cross, where he offered his whole being for us, for our failures and our sins. And then he rose again on the third day so that anyone who would come to him and acknowledge him and receive him by faith would be brought into this great, big, forever family of God. He is the architect of it all. And the more we get to know him, the more we become like him. Sometimes we we have a saying in Christian circles called Christ-likeness. That's good. I, I I have a little something a little different, okay? Christ-sightedness comes before Christ-likeness. You got to see him and then know him for him to bring that change about in us. And he's inviting us to grow into these snapshots, to understand how his humanity shows us the way to be ultimately fulfilled in our humanity. First John 3 says that when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And the closer we can get to this right now is what it's all about. So let's go back to the beginning of Hebrews 2 and share what we found. He is a flesh of our flesh. He is a man of sorrows. He is the sympathizer in chief, the devourer of death, the disabler of the devil, the liberator of all fear, the sanctifier of the saints, our elder brother, the architect of our salvation. That's our God and what he has done. And now back to the opening verse. We must pay the most careful attention Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Those words, drift away, literally mean to leak out, like a hole at the bottom of a bottle. So every day we have two choices. You can lean in, or you can leak out. We can take it all in, or we can let it slip away. 
we come closer to him when we lean in more to who he is and what he has done. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father God, for sending your son Jesus, who is all these things and thousands of more. How we love you and thankful, and you, we pray you help us to have a restored vision so that we see you on every single page of our, of our Bible and we grow in you more and more. As best we know how, we offer ourselves to you. And Father God, we lift up needs that we have. We know that you sympathize and empathize and you use them to bring good to us. And we don't know how you do that, but we trust that you do because you say you do. And so silently in our hearts, we lift them to you as a community. We uh, lift up Gail. We thank you that uh, your care was on her this week, that when she fell, she did not break any bones. We pray that you would be with her physical being and healing in her body and her spirit as she spends the next couple of weeks in a care facility to gain strength and mobility again. May she experience your presence in wonderful ways. We lift up our students, uh, whether it's preschool or graduate. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with our stu students to help them in their studies and in them to be able to see you in all these different aspects of your glorious world. And so we also pray for uh, teachers and parents and administrators, that you will bless them and guide them. We pray for our children, that you will lead them into your way. Uh, we pray for uh, Annalise Grote and the child that she carries. We pray for uh, protection and grace and comfort in this time of waiting. How we... Uh, Thank you, Father God, for your love for us. And we, uh, best we know how, we want to express our gratitude and our thanks to you. We offer these things in the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.